Thanks very much, Simon. Uh, well, good morning, everyone. It's really good to be together. And if you have your Bible there, please do open with me to Galatians chapter 2. We're just going to be looking at verse 20 this morning. As you turn there, I want us to reflect on a few statements of truth. God does not want us to just believe the gospel. He wants us to live every day in the goodness of the gospel. God does not just want us to have a vague notion of grace and peace. He wants us to live every day experiencing that grace and peace. God does not want us just to see that he is good. He wants us to taste and see that he is good. That is, he wants us to live every day with the taste buds of our souls savoring a sense of his goodness. God does not want us to just celebrate Easter today. He wants us to enjoy the liberating effects of Easter every day. All of these statements are true But though they are all true, so often as Christians, if we're honest, we would admit and say that we struggle to live in the goodness of the gospel. I quoted this from Jerry Bridges a few weeks back, and it's worth quoting again. In the gospel for real life, Jerry Bridges writes, as Christians we tend to live under a vague sense of guilt. We are not nearly as vigorous in appropriating God's forgiveness as he is in extending it. Consequently, instead of living in the sunshine of God's forgiveness through Christ, we tend to live under an overcast sky of guilt most of the time. We have this problem. We believe in a gospel of grace, but so often we relate to God as if that relationship were based on works. This faulty understanding of the gospel can hinder us from living in the freedom and goodness of God's grace and can bring us into a kind of slavery and guilt and shame that cripples any real enjoyment of God. Well, if there was ever a verse in the Bible given to help liberate us from this kind of low-level guilt, if there was ever a verse to help us live in the goodness of the gospel, in the goodness of all that Easter means, it is this verse we come to this morning. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is Easter In a verse, death of the old sinful self with Christ, resurrection and new birth and a whole new life lived in the power of the risen Christ, all enjoyed by faith in the one who loved us and gave himself for us. This verse is in the Bible here to help us, if we're not Christians, to help us understand the message and implications of Easter. It's also here for us, if we're Christians, to stir us up again and to help us to live in the goodness of all that Easter means for us. This is one of the greatest guilt and condemnation-busting verses in the whole Bible. It's like a grenade to explode guilt and condemnation. 
to break those gray skies of guilt apart and to bring us back into the sunshine of God's grace. So let's first look at this verse in its context to get our bearings. Last week, we saw that the Apostle Paul had a confrontation with the Apostle Peter. And that confrontation yielded one of the clearest explanations of what the gospel is in the New Testament. In the explanation of the gospel that Paul gave, he emphasized this really important word, justified. And we spent time thinking about what that means. To be justified means essentially to be made right with God. To be justified in a court of law is to be declared not guilty, to be in the right, to be entitled to all the privileges due to those who have kept the law. And Paul was outlining how we can be justified, how we can be in the right with God. And he said over and over again, we're not justified, made right with God, by works of the law. That is, by doing really good things to try and outweigh all our bad things. Paul said no three times. And in verse 16, he said, by works of the law, no one will be justified. So this idea that, you know what, maybe I've done enough. I hope in the end I've been good enough. Maybe my good deeds will outweigh my bad deeds, and in the end God will accept me. No, that's not how you get right with God, by trying to be really, really good. Because by trying to be really good, no one will be justified. No one can make themselves good enough to be in the right with God. How then can we be justified? Well, Paul four times in verses 16 and 17 of chapter 2 told us we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Belief in Jesus Christ. Faith in Christ. Verse 17, he's very clear. We are justified in Christ. Now that language of being justified in Christ is very important in the Apostle Paul's letters. He uses this expression in Christ or in Christ Jesus or in the Lord over 160 times in his letters. This is what we call Paul's doctrine of union with Christ. Paul teaches clearly that the only way to be justified, to be in the right with God, is to be united to Jesus by faith. Just like a branch of a tree that is broken off and disconnected from the tree, if there's a branch not connected to the tree, then the life-giving sap of the tree cannot flow through it. That branch that is disconnected from the the life-giving trunk, that branch, it has no life in it. And in the same way, a person that is disconnected from Jesus Christ, they have no spiritual life in them. They do not receive any of the benefits of the death of Christ and all that he accomplished through it. This has led the theologian John Calvin to say, as long as Christ remains outside of us and we are separated from him, all that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value for us. Faith in Christ is like plugging the branch into the tree. Faith in Christ unites us to Jesus And all of the saving benefits of his death and his life flow into us through that faith union. Now, after explaining that we are only made right with God through this union with Christ by faith, that was last week, Now in verse 20, the verse we're looking at this morning, to underline his point, Paul makes a final, emphatic, triumphant, personal statement on union with Christ to help us really 
appreciate the reality. He essentially wants to set the Galatians free from a kind of slavery and guilt that they're experiencing because they think they're having to try and obey their way to God, earn their way to God. And Paul is trying to help them see, no, you can be set free. And here is how you are set free. Union with Christ. And now in verse 20, he unpacks what union with Christ consists of. And his statement is made up of three parts. And we are just going to walk down through the three parts of this one verse. Galatians 2 verse 20. First he says, I have been crucified with Christ. Now here is the first thing we must understand in the doctrine of union with Christ. When we are united to Jesus by faith, when we become Christians, we are united to Jesus, first of all, in his death. Now what does that mean? Well, when Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live. He's referring to his old sinful by nature self. Romans 6, 6 makes this a little bit clearer. Here's what Paul wrote there. We know that our old self was crucified with him, with Christ, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So when Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, he's thinking of his old sinful self. My old sinliest self has been crucified with Christ. Elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, Paul teaches that every human by nature is in Adam. Here's what 1 Corinthians 15, 22 says. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. And that verse is really important for helping us to understand what it means to be in Adam and in Christ. Let's just think about that for a moment. One Puritan, Thomas Goodwin, uses this very helpful illustration. He says that, imagine two giants. Imagine there are two giants here in the church, right? There's one big giant here, Adam. And then over here, there's another big giant, Christ. And those two giants represent two groups of people. And on each giant, there's a big belt. And on their belt, loads of hooks. And everyone who's born by nature is hooked onto the belt of Adam. You're in Adam. We're descended from Adam and Eve. We have fallen in Adam and Eve. We're in Adam before we're ever in Christ. So the Bible teaches and the Apostle Paul teaches that because of our first parents who sinned and rebelled against God and plunged all humanity into spiritual death and separation from God, we're all guilty because of sin. We're fallen. Like, for example, if one player on a football team commits a foul and is penalized for it, the whole team is penalized for it. Well, when Adam and Eve sinned, all of humanity in them, we also sinned. We fell with Adam and Eve. In Adam, born by nature, we inherit sinfulness. We inherit a sinful nature. By nature, we are dark, closed, dead spiritually. In Psalm 51.5, we read that we are born into the world as sinners. In Ephesians 2, Paul says, by nature, we are children of wrath. We love to indulge our sinful desires, love to be masters of our own lives. By nature, Paul says, we're darkened in our understanding, dead in trespasses and sins. This is who we are by nature. We're hooked onto the belt of Adam. But the apostle Paul says, there's a way to die to that reality, to get out of that, to be unhooked from the belt of Adam and to get into Christ, to be hooked onto Christ. You have to trust in Jesus. By faith, you die to that old life in Adam and you are free to be united, hooked onto the belt of Christ so that you're no longer in Adam where all die. In Christ, all will be made alive. And when you are united to Jesus by faith, Paul says, first, it's your old self that is really bound up with him in his death. 
Now, just listen for a moment at the way Paul speaks of this reality of death with Christ. In Romans 6, 5, he says, we were united to Jesus in a death like his. Colossians 2.20, we died with Christ. Colossians 2.12, we were buried with Christ. Galatians 2.20, we were crucified with Christ. So the first thing that we are to understand about union with Christ, when we are united to Jesus, the first thing we are united to is his death. There were at least three things nailed to the cross on that first Good Friday when Jesus died. First, Jesus Christ himself. Second, the public announcement that read, this is Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. What was the third thing crucified to the cross on that first Good Friday? You. Your old sinful self was crucified with Christ. On that cross, we were spiritually in Christ. Our old sinful self was in some real way absorbed into the Son. He bore the wrath of God against us, shielding us from it. He took then our old, by nature, rebellious, sinful self down into death and into the grave with him. He strips away the old, by nature, sinful Steve. And if you're in Christ, he strips away the old, by nature, condemned, sinful you. The old self who committed all that sin, all that rebellion, who loved it by nature, all united to Christ, all crucified with Christ, all buried with Christ. Now, how does that truth help us battle guilt and condemnation? Well, you preach this reality to yourself. Think about this, your old sinful self. Think of all of the sins you've ever committed, all your mistakes, all the intentional sins. Think of your sexual immorality. Think of your arrogance, your messy past, all your regrets, all your blasphemies, all your lovelessness, all your gossip, all your sins that you are responsible for and that would condemn you to hell justly. All that nailed to the cross in Christ, dead, stripped away from you, dealt with. So if you are in Christ, your old self, all that mess, all that regret, it's crucified with Christ. It's dead. The old self is dead, gone. All your sins cast into a sea of forgetfulness, never to be counted against you, never to be counted against you. That old self no longer lives, says Paul. All this is true if you're in Christ. And when you feel guilty and you feel ashamed of your sin and your poor Bible reading practices and prayer practices and everything, and you start to feel like you can't even come to God, you just say, my old sinful self is gone. It is crucified with Christ. Well, after saying that, Paul then makes a second statement. He says, secondly, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Here is the second thing we must understand about the doctrine of union with Christ. By faith, we are not only united to Jesus in his death, our old self united to him in his death, we are by faith united to him in his resurrection and his new life. Again, Romans 6, the passage Paddy read earlier is really helpful here. Verses 4 and 5, listen really carefully to the words. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. In Christ, our old self is crucified with him in his death. And a new self is raised up with him in resurrection. This is elsewhere called regeneration, or to use the language of Jesus in John chapter 3, it is the experience of being born again. 
And what Paul teaches here about this is pretty staggering. He says that the new life that we're united to in Christ by faith is in some real spiritual way Christ coming to live in you. It's no longer I who live, says Paul, but Christ who lives in me. So when you become a Christian, when you're united to Jesus by faith, there's the death of an old self and the birth of a new self, the birth of new life. And that new life is nothing less than the risen Christ coming to make his home in your life by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's quite a complex phrase, so let's break it down and think about it for a moment. In John 3, verse 6, and Titus 3, 6, we learn that we are born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit fills us, washes us, renews us, unites us to Christ. It is the Spirit who puts you into Christ. In John 14, 17, Jesus said the Holy Spirit would come to live in you, but here's what's significant. Jesus said that he also would come to live in his people's hearts and lives. In verse 20 of John 14, Jesus said, In that day, you will know that I'm in my Father, and you're in me, and I am in you. So we have to step back and ask a question, right? Hang on, does Christ dwell in us, or does the Holy Spirit dwell in us? And the answer is, the presence of the Holy Spirit is so closely associated with the presence of Christ that by the Spirit dwelling in us, it can be said that Christ is in us and that we are in Him. Now, here's the best text that teaches this reality. Romans 8, 9, and 10. Listen very carefully. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. So there, it's interchangeable. The Spirit of God dwells in you. That is the Spirit of Christ. That is Christ in you. The Spirit dwells within the new self and mediates the presence and power of the living Christ within the believer. This is why we call our union with Christ a spiritual union. It is affected by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit puts us into Christ, and in Christ, the saving life of Christ flows into us like sap flows into the branch of a tree. There's a little device that some campers use called a spile. Do you know what a spile is? At least I think that's what it's called. It's always worrying when no one seems to know what it's called. It's a little like metal device and if you're struggling to find water in some places where trees hold water, you take your metal little spout, like we spout, and you hammer it into the tree, and in time, water starts to drip out of it, and you can get water to refresh you. In a sense, this is what union with Christ is. You're like disconnected from Christ. You need to be, boom, hammered into Christ by faith, and then all of the goodness of the water of life flowing from the Holy Spirit, bringing the power and life of the risen Christ into you, that is what happens. That is union with Christ by faith. Paul calls this in Colossians 1.27, a glorious mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Scottish theologian Henry Scougal in the 17th century called it really beautifully, the life of God in the soul of man. Paul is saying, here's what happens when you are united to Jesus by faith, when you become a Christian. The old self is crucified with Christ. A whole new life is born again. That life is the life that God has put into you through the Holy Spirit who brings the risen Christ and all his power directly into your life. Now, we need to think about this for a moment here because it can get a little bit confusing because there is a level of continuity in this verse. In fact, the whole, the most important thing in interpreting Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 is to understand who the I is speaking about. That great towering I. Do you notice Galatians 2.20? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Now that's Paul saying, that's my old sinful self. Crucified with Christ, no longer living. 
but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live. Now, who does that I refer to? The new self. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, all of this happens with a level of continuity. Now, what do I mean? It's the same person. Now, there's, so there's, here's Steve. There's a me by nature, sinful, unclean, rebel, spiritually dark. And that part of my nature, when I became a Christian, was killed by Christ. United, killed, gone. But now it's still me, it's still Steve. Now the old me's gone. That life is crucified with Christ. But now the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God. Still me, but the old self is crucified and now the new self is alive. There's still continuity, but there is massive discontinuity. And you, you might say, well, hang on, then surely you're sinlessly perfect if the old self's gone and now there's the new self. So are you sinlessly perfect? That old self's completely dead? Well, anyone who knows me will know that's not a reality. You see, the Apostle Paul, as we'll see, goes on to teach that this is our spiritual reality before God. God looks at me, he looks at you and you're in Christ, and he says, the old self's gone. I don't see it anymore. I just see the new in Christ, clothed with the righteousness of Christ, Steve. No condemnation because the condemnation's already been carried out in Christ, crucified. But the new self is shiny, bright, and righteous in Christ. And then, as we'll see, the Apostle Paul says, Now, by faith, you receive that as your reality. You count the old self as dead, and you count the new self as your true self. So, Paul's saying, with triumphant, personal joy. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The saving life of Christ is now in me. The resurrected Christ is in me by the power of the Spirit. And now he goes on to say, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, let's just pause for a moment and ask, right, how does all of this truth, crucified with Christ, raised with Christ, how does that give us hope of living in the goodness of the gospel? How does that bust our guilt and low-level sense of condemnation? Well, here are two things to say, and then I'll add a third. First, if you're in Christ, if you're a Christian, the moment you become a Christian, truly, you are a totally new creature. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's why Jesus referred to it as being born again. The day you became a Christian, there was a new self born that didn't exist before. A new spiritual you, all within you. Second, how does this reality of crucifixion and resurrection with Christ help us live in the goodness of the gospel? First, we know we're a new creation. Second, we know that our new life is fueled by divine resurrection power. Paul prays that we would know the power of the risen Christ in his letter to the Ephesians and the Philippians. In Ephesians 1, he prays that the eyes of Christians' hearts would be enlightened so that they would know the resurrection power that is at work within them. In Philippians 3.10, Paul prays that we would know Christ and the power of his resurrection. In Ephesians 3, do you remember that lovely prayer? He prays that we would be given strength from the Spirit to know that Christ dwells within us by faith. We would have a sense of the power of the indwelling Christ by faith. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but I can certainly feel like this. We can feel so weak and so rubbish in our Christian lives. We just feel like we've seen so much of God's goodness, so much of his grace, and yet we keep struggling with the same old sins of pride and 
self-centeredness over and over again. Sometimes that's where you can find yourself languishing under a sense of just guilt and rubbishness. Or Satan can throw up your path to you and you start feeling regret again and feeling the dirtiness of your past. Well, take heart if you're struggling in that way. If you're in Christ, then God's power is at work in you to help you keep overcoming that remaining indwelling struggle with sin. In 2 Peter 1.3, we read, His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. Now, this truth of the power of the risen Christ being at work in us, this helps us greatly in our journey of Christian growth, sanctification. We are called to keep looking to this divine power source to help us battle our sins, to help us fight our discouragements, to help us with anxiety and our battles against anguish and fear and loneliness. We don't fight the fight of faith alone. We fight the fight of faith knowing that it is God who is at work in us. Let Philippians 2, 12 and 13 sink in. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. What does that mean? You keep working out how to grow how to apply the gospel to every area of your life. You keep working out how to live under the lordship of Christ because there's hope in your growth. Why? Because you're not trying to do it in your own willpower. Let this sink in this morning. It is God who works in you. God works in you. The powerful, resurrected Christ works in you to help you fight sin, to help you battle fear, to help you battle loneliness and grief. How can you think you could do it on your own? You can't. You must say, Lord, look, I know I've got to be responsible. I've got to try to do all I can to grow and mature, but I cannot do it by myself I need your power at work in me. May the power of the risen Christ be turned up loud in my life so that I would overcome sin. So this is the good news of Galatians 2.20. Here we are by nature in Adam, united to Christ. We're unhooked, crucified with Christ. We're then a new self is created all within us we're hooked on to Christ. And now all the benefits, all the blessings, all the forgiveness, all the grace, all the life, all the Holy Spirit, all yours as it flows into you because you've been like that spy driven into Christ by faith. So how do we practically live in the goodness of this new life? How do we access all the benefits of Christ's saving work? So let's go back to the question I asked earlier, you know, does that mean I'm sinlessly perfect? Well, no, absolutely not. Because there is an old self that has been crucified, there is a new self who has been raised, but there are these old remnants of old habits that are still within me. The old self's crucified spiritually, new self spiritually alive. God sees me as righteous in Christ, but my reality is still the old habits of the old self still still seem to remain. And so I still keep being selfish. I keep being self-centered. I keep being greedy or coveting or whatever it is. Keep struggling with that. So the question is, how then do we access this power that is at work within us? How do we receive all of that power so that it can empower and help us in our Christian lives. Well, that's where we'll land the plane this morning and finish. You access all that life and all that power by faith. Now, you might be like, oh, is that it? I thought you were going to tell something really exciting there. (laughs) That is amazing. Because what's the alternative? You've got to work to earn it. All of that power 
all of that life, all of that goodness here for anyone that will just receive it. Free gift. Paul puts it like this. The life I now live in the flesh, in the flesh now, what he's saying there is still me, still struggles though, the old man's dead. There's a new man. There's still, I'm still in the flesh. I'm waiting for the full glorification when Christ returns. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The life I live. Now, that's the new self lives by faith. And Paul explains what that means in Romans 6.11. So also you must consider yourself dead to sin. So by faith... Though you're a sinner, though you struggle, you say, by trusting in Christ, I'm counting my old sinful self dead and buried. So how does this work out for me? Well, when I tomorrow morning will get up and pray, and I might be feeling guilty, and I might be feeling ashamed to come to God, and how can I turn to you now, Lord, when I'm so cold? And I'll just say, Lord, I remember that my access to you this morning, it's not based on my performance. It's based on Christ. And that old sinful self is crucified with your son. It's gone, buried, dead. No, I come in the new self. I'm righteous in Christ. In the new, shiny, righteous self, I come and there's no condemnation. I don't have to waste my time messing around with guilt and shame. I just come boldly, freely to you because in Christ, I'm righteous. And you just come. There's no guilt and there's no shame and there's no messing about with performance-based guilt. You just come in Jesus' name. You count your sinful self gone. doesn't exist. Crucified with Christ. By faith. That's how you receive that. By faith. Then, you must also consider yourself dead to sin. And what? Alive to God in Jesus Christ. By faith. It's the new self I'm living in. It's the new self that comes to you. And rejoices in you this morning. By faith you walk in newness of life. And then the Christian journey is the journey of fighting every day to put off the old self. Now that's the Ephesians 4, isn't it? In Colossians 3 language. So as you're in Christ, learn to put off the old self. Just keep putting it off. Mortify, kill, try to fight sin. Keep putting it off. And put on the new self. Live in this new identity. Be loving. Be kind, be forgiving, walk in newness of life. Old self, gone, fight to kill sin. New self, here, strive to nourish the new man or new woman. This is your new in Christ identity. And it is, it is your first identity. Before you're anything. Before you're Protestant, Catholic, black, white, rich, Poor, man, woman, Jew, Gentile, before you're anything else, you are in Christ. And here, this unites us from all our backgrounds, all our different countries, all our whatever, in Christ together, the family of God. This is our new identity, in Christ, clothed with a righteousness that can never be tarnished or dulled. Never forget that your faith is in the one who made all this a reality for you. How? Well, Paul says it right at the end. Because he loved me. And he gave himself for me. What state were you in when he loved you and gave himself for you? Answer to that question is in Romans 5, 8. God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He loved you. He gave himself for you while you were in that unlovely state. You were in Adam. 
You were a rebel. You were responsible for guilt and shame. And not because of anything in us, but because of everything in him, he loved us in that state. He loved us and he came for us and he gave himself for us. If he had not loved me and gave himself for me, given himself for me, I would be still in Adam, blind and dead to the whole thing. Now, in light of that truth, if he loved you and gave himself for you when you were still a sinner, do you think that tomorrow when you come to pray, he's not going to want to receive you? No. Now you're in Christ, justified, made right with God, no condemnation, no guilt, entitled to all the privileges of those who have kept the law. While you were still a sinner, he loved you and gave himself for you. Now, do you think tomorrow on the basis of your performance, he wants you to feel guilty like you can't even come to prayer? No. Because that same Christ still loves you and his accomplishments are still there for you. This is not something you earn. This is something you just receive by faith and you just live in the goodness of it every day. John Owen has said, there is nothing that Jesus Christ is more delighted with than that his saints should always hold communion with him by giving him their sins and receiving his righteousness. This greatly honors him and gives him the glory that he is due. Now that is a striking statement. There's nothing Jesus loves more than holding communion with his people as, as we give him our sins. Jesus loves for us to lay our sins on him. And he loves to lay on us his righteousness. And so you go into tomorrow, into the rest of this day, when you feel Satan accusing you and making you feel guilty and condemned for your poor life, and you just go to Christ and you say, Lord, here I am again. I am just laying my sins on you again. And I thank you that you're laying your righteousness on me. And Christ loves for his people to hold communion with him in that way. What great dishonor we do to Christ if we try to get rid of our guilt any other way, trying to tidy our act up, and then we'll come. Trying to tidy our act up, and then we'll be baptized. Trying to tidy our act up, and then I'll be able to press on. No. You come to Christ. He tidies your act up. And by faith, you receive all of the blessings and benefits of all that he has done. Let me ask you this question in closing. Is Easter personal to you? Paul closes and says, he loved me and gave himself for me. You bring and boil everything else down and don't just think of the death of Christ in a general way. Think of it in a specific way. He didn't just die for the world generally. He died for me. If you're in Christ, he died for me. Is Easter personal to you? Can you say, I have been crucified with Christ? It's no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you cannot say that this morning, then call on the name of the Lord and be saved. If you're a Christian and you can say that, are you living in all the goodness of his grace every day? Remember, we don't just celebrate the resurrection today. We live in the goodness of it every day. And that's our hope this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the beauty and power of the truth contained in that just one little verse. Here is the gospel. 
because Jesus died, our old sinful self can be crucified with him. Because Jesus rose, we can be risen up to newness of life with him. Lord, we want to thank you that you loved us and gave yourself for us. Because, Lord, if you had looked at us and said, no, they're too dirty, I don't want to touch them, we'd all be undone. But while we were still sinners, oh, Lord Jesus Christ, you loved us and you gave yourself for us. It's more than we deserve. It's grace. And Lord, I pray that we would not offend you by thinking that we can merit our way to you through our good works, but that instead we would just renounce all of that and say, Lord, I just fall completely on Christ by faith. In him alone is my life. In him alone is grace. In him alone are found all the benefits of his death and everything he accomplished. And I just pray this morning that if there's anyone here and they're thinking of their own life and they're saying that they're that branch broken off the tree, they're outside of all of the saving benefits of Christ, still under condemnation, I just pray this morning that even in their heart right now, they would just be saying, Lord, I want to be in Christ. I want to receive Jesus by faith. I want to see my old self crucified with him. I want to see new life. I cry out to the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I just pray, Lord, that someone would be praying that right now. And for us who are in Christ, oh Lord, if anyone has just been living with that low-level guilt and condemnation, I pray that once again the beauty of the truth of the gospel would just blow that away and that we would be able to say to our guilt and shame, I have been crucified with Christ. My old self is gone. and My new self is righteous in Christ. I'm justified in him and alive in him. And I just pray, Lord, that we would live in the goodness of that identity every day. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to be respond now by singing together uh, a hymn that has been written reflecting on this theme, No Longer I But Christ. Let's stand together and sing.
may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.